0: Well, as you know, as a church, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And as we get to today's passage, I was reminded of a time in high school. When I was in high school, uh, my friend Craig and I were headed to a party. We were going to pick up a guy. First time he was going to hang out with us, going to pick up this kid named Ricky White. We were 16. Ricky was a year younger than us, which meant, you know, his parents weren't quite used to yet the idea of like, my son has friends who have cars and they pick them up, like they drive them everywhere. So I think it kind of rattled them. They were a little bit nervous. And so as we pulled into the driveway to pick up Ricky White, he came out, but he was closely followed by his father. (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. White. I knew Mr. White. He was one of my soccer coaches when I was growing up. And Mr. White was not White. He was a large black man. Now that's relevant because that meant he was blessed with one of those deep, rich baritone, like I'm pretty sure his first name was Barry. Right? Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, like, I mean, he had just had one. I wish I had that voice, beautiful voice. So you got to hear that in your mind when he came out to the car and he leaned over and said, Do you boys know the rules? Do you know the rules? No six-packs in the trunk, no six-packs in the back seat, no six-packs in the front seat, no six-packs in the glove box. To this day, I have no idea how you fit a six-pack in the glove box of a Honda Civic. It just doesn't fit, right? But he just went on and on. No six-packs around the corner, no six-packs on the way there, no six-packs when you get there, no six-packs on the way home. We drove out of the driveway and said, good thing it's a kegger. (laughs) Oh my goodness, and he just went on. But I'll tell you this. Mr. White was an imposing man with that big, beautiful voice. When you stood in his driveway, there was no doubt who made the rules. No doubt. And and as we get into today's passage, that's it's gonna be relevant because the real question on the table for us today is who makes the rules? Who makes the rules? So what we have today in our passage, it's kind of like this hodgepodge of verses that are stuck in between two stories. We dealt last week with the uh, dishonest financial manager, and then next week will be the rich man of Lazarus. And so two stories. In between is this passage right here. We're in Luke 16, verses 14 to 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Well, that ought to be fun. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like So Jared gets the prodigal son, this great story, the father waiting on the porch. I get these verses right here and in five short verses there's like 50 cans of worms that were just opened, right i mean it's all spilling out there and of course right at the end you know it's talking marriage and and divorce and all that and so cancel your lunch plans we're gonna be no that's we'll be okay all the all these cans being opened, a big can right at the end right is about divorce and like a lot of you are glaring at me on the inside right now like don't you go there Don't you do it. I just want to warn you right off the bat Jesus said it. I just read it. Don't shoot the messenger. Because I want to begin by tying off that open can right now. Now, the passage is not about divorce overall, Jesus just offers that as an example at the end. It's really about who makes the rules. But, Our culture, if we're honest, is dripping with divorce. And having read that, I feel the need to address it just a little bit. I'm going to give you a biblical sketch of marriage and divorce. The first is to start with marriage. Marriage is to be a covenant between one man and one woman who become one flesh for life. That's the biblical ideal of marriage. It's important that it's permanent. And the reason why is the human covenant of marriage is to be reflective of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. Which we want to be permanent, right? Like, So we don't want it set aside. We want it to be a covenant. Being a covenant means that it's unconditional and it's irrevocable. Right? It's in contrast to a contract. A contract is where uh, I do for you, you do for me. Tit for tat, right? So uh, I'm going to give you my truck, you're going to give me $10,000. If you don't give me $10,000, you don't get my truck. That's a breach of contract. It is conditional. The contrast is a covenant. Now the Bible assumes that marriage is tough. Yes, marriage is tough. A good marriage cannot be found. It must be built. And it is often tough to build it. And so when marriage gets tough, you know what we call that? We don't call that divorce. We call it marriage. Right? Marriage is difficult. And so you just can't get divorced willy-nilly because it's tough. If you get divorced because it's difficult, nobody would be married. right? Like we'd all be divorced by now. So that is marriage. Now, there are two biblical justifications for divorce. chose my word carefully. Not necessarily does it need to cause divorce, but there are two justifications. That is adultery and abandonment. By abandonment, we don't mean he never shares his feelings with me. That's not what it means, okay? It means he left us and he's never coming back. That's abandonment. So adultery and abandonment. And even then, the Bible would encourage towards reconciliation. And we are blessed in our congregation with many couples who sadly have encountered adultery, but they have leaned in and God has been gracious in their wonderful stories of redemption. Not perfect marriages, but beautiful marriages. And that can happen. So, uh, the, what that means though, is though you can, there's justification for divorce in the case of adultery and abandonment, so the aggrieved party can trigger divorce then, the aggrieved party, and, and, then, and then you can get remarried, yes, you're free to remarry. Also, death breaks the covenant and a widow or widower is free to remarry. Now having said that, some of you of course are like, well dude, uh, I've gotten divorced because of irreconcilable differences and, and, and so what should I do? Well, the biblical answer is that you seek reconciliation with your spouse. God still views that evidently as a covenant that you are still in. So you need to go seek reconciliation, not because you trust your ex, but because you trust your God. And if you can't uh, do that, then you've got to realize that your next marriage begins in sin, evidently. Now, it's not perpetual sin. You can repent and you can heal, but don't game God. Don't think you're going to outsmart God. That's not the way it works. So you need to seek reconciliation. Now, what if you seek reconciliation, but your ex-spouse will have nothing to do with you? Well, now you might have a case for abandonment and then the freedom to remarry. But notice I said might. You might. Don't have time to unpack all that right now. But at least let me get at this. What if, what if you've messed up and you've already remarried? Well, now you don't break one covenant to go back to another, right? That's just divorce on divorce. No, you're remarried. You stick with your covenant, and yet you need to repent. Like, really Repent. Like to say God is God and I am not and, and that was wrong. I broke God's rules and, and, and I grieve it. I, you know what? I wish I could go back and do it differently because I trust God, not me. Grieve it. In fact, as part of that process, I would recommend you go seek forgiveness from your ex-spouse. Some of you are, are you flipping kidding me, man? No, I'm not saying that it was all your fault. No, of course not. Takes two to make a marriage, takes two to make a divorce. At the same time, you understand someday you will stand before God, you will not give an account for your ex's sins, but for yours. And so you helped cause the breach of a covenant, and you want to go seek forgiveness for that. Granted, they might not hear you, but you want to give it a shot. All right, now, that right there, because Jesus threw that bomb out there, I felt the need to address divorce and marriage, and I wanted to begin my sermon with that so that I could make sure I have no friends left in the room. That's awesome. Yay. Okay, but that's not the crux of the passage. Remember, this is just an example that Jesus tacked on at the end about divorce. And the question is this, when it comes to marriage and divorce... Who makes the rules? See what Jesus is doing? Who makes the rules? That's the question on the table. Now let me give you a thought in that direction. Most of us answer the question this way. I make the rules. I make the rules. I mean, let's go back to the very beginning of the passage and you'll see how this came up. There was an obvious context marker right in verse 14 there. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Wait, time out. What did they hear? Well, you remember last week we talked about the dishonest financial manager, that story. And remember how that passage ends in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money That sounds like a rule to me That's a rule you cannot serve God and money and you know what the pharisees said in response nuh uh You got to hear that like a middle schooler right No uh right you can't do that you get uh pfft. Of course I can. Of course it's silly, Jesus. What do you know? And so they start to ridicule him. Can I just tell you, when God shows up in the flesh, do not ridicule him. Like, that's just not smart. And yet, let's be honest. Many in our culture ridicule our Lord, ridicule us, and ridicule our faith. What do we do? Don't get fussy. Don't get worried or defensive or stressed. Listen, God's a big boy. It's even irreverent to say that. He ain't a boy. He's a big God. He's got broad shoulders. He can handle it. He's not stressing when little humans ridicule him. Neither should we. It works out okay in the end. All right. Don't get all bunched up. Don't stress. But let's get back to the big question. The big question is, who makes the rules? Maybe you've heard the English poem Invictus has that famous ending where it says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That well captures the American mindset. It captures the human condition. Like here is God in the flesh telling me what it is like and I'm like, I make up my own stuff. I make up my own rules, thank you very much. I make up my own religion. We just make stuff up and we think it holds water. Like, go to your neighbors and ask them what they believe. Well, I kind of think it's like duct, duct tape because like, there's a light side and a dark side and it holds everything together, right? What? That's ridiculous. How do you make this stuff up? That is just, you can't just, so, oh, oh so you think you're right. No, I don't think I'm right. I think Jesus is right. He rose from the dead. He gets to make the rules. Jesus is right. And so we don't just get to make stuff up. Now, next big idea with this is (laughs) when God makes up the rules, he has this annoying habit. Uh, Let me get at it this way. Uh, Sadly, this lady has passed away by now. Her name is Holly Butcher. Oh, you assume she's on the right, don't you? No, that's Holly's nan. They're from Australia. They call their grandmother Nan, right? That's her nan. Holly's the one on the left, but you didn't assume it was her, right? Because when you look at her, you see one who is young and radiant, seemingly healthy. She's beautiful. Of course, she's healthy, right? Bone cancer. See, we're, we're trained. We look on the outside. God looks on the inside, and just like Holly, you, you might be healthy. Like some of you are CrossFit people, right? And, and, or maybe you're keto diet. Maybe you're eating your kale, whatever. You could be dying right now, and you don't know it. You could have bone cancer, or maybe you know some dirt on the Clintons. You could be dead any day. You don't know. You have no idea. See, we're, we're trained, we look on the outside, but God say no, it's what's on the inside that actually counts. And God tends to focus on internals over externals. And I said that it's annoying, and the reason why is because it annoys the heck out of religious folks. They don't like it. Religion tends to make a lot of external rules, but God examines the heart. And so the Pharisees were the ultra-religious elite. They were the rule keepers. Look at me. Look at the outside. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't even eat Popeye's chicken. Because it's Chick-fil-A for God, baby, right? So, so like, look at me. And God says, I'm looking at your heart. I mean, look what Jesus said. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Uh Uh-oh, God, don't look there. Don't look there. It's kind of ironic. Sometimes as pastors, we hear people uh, say the phrase, hey, God knows my heart. They say that in the context of I'm about to sin. I know what God says, but I'm going to do it this way. God knows my heart. Listen, the idea of God knowing your heart ought to terrify you. If not, then you have a very low view of God and a high view of yourself. Jesus says, God knows your heart. And those were not encouraging words. He followed it up by talking about an abomination. That's not good. So you think it's about externals like not smoking and not swearing and God says he's looking at your heart that it has more to do with how you treat people and how you think about God. Uh oh. I mean, after all, think about this. What if we were able to t- make a, a freaky sci-fi movie camera and we could record the thoughts of your heart and mind throughout the day? Everything you feel towards people everything you've thought about me when I started the sermon about divorce. like It's all recorded, right? And then what we're going to do is we're going to play it on the big screen for all your friends and family to watch. Oh, please don't do that. None of us would pass that test. That's going to be a very gross moment. God is not looking at the outside. He's looking at the inside. It's the heart that counts. Now, here's the next big thought. So, since it's the heart that counts... What we do is, oh, great. So there are no rules then, right? Oh, time out, cowboy. Hold up there. Because what it actually says is, no, God makes the rules. You don't, but there are rules. Look look what Jesus says. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, the law and the prophets, that would have been shorthand for like the entire scriptures known to them. We call it the Old Testament now because we also have the New, right? So that means the whole Old Testament. And Jesus sets it up in contrast. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was up until John the Baptist. Since then, we have the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he says, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, that phrase is a very difficult one to translate, let alone to interpret. And much ink has been spilled on what that means. Here's my guess. I think it means that I want to force my rules into the way of God. And now, now we, we the, the law and the prophets were till John. Now we have the good news of the kingdom of God and everyone wants to force their understanding. We want to put our words in God's mouth to force our way into God's way. And Jesus says, nope can't do that. Now, there are still rules, still rules. Like he goes on, he says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. What's a dot of the law? Well, that refers to the tittle. Look at this graphic, if you will. You see in red some Hebrew alphabet characters there. You look on the right you see there are two different hebrew letters the only difference is in that blue circle there that is a tittle or a dot it's one little small stroke makes a difference listen to what jesus is saying he evidently has a very high view of the word of god some people say well it's just the ideas the general ideas of the scriptures account jesus is saying no it's the words even more so it's the letters. Even more so, it's the little dots on the letters. Like, that won't pa- the dots on the letters won't pass away. Heaven and earth could, but they won't. The rules stand. They stand. And so what we want to do is we want to make the Scriptures, like, malleable and flexible so that we can force our way into it. And Jesus says, no, no. Now, an understandable question comes up, like, if not one dot of the Old Testament passes away, then why don't we have to keep all of the Old Testament laws? Have you heard this question? It's a really good question. So, when we look in the Old Testament, what we see is there are three categories of rules. There's the moral, the ceremonial, and the civil. Let me me address the ceremonial first. The ceremonial rules were those ones that made Jews distinctly Jewish. This would be like the kosher diet and you can't eat shellfish and don't boil a kid in its mother's milk and don't wear this fabric with that fabric and just weird, right? But it made them distinct people. Now, as we come into the new covenant, Jesus has fulfilled all those. We don't have to keep them. In fact, the apostles were quite clear that a Gentile does not need to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And so those are fulfilled and set aside. Then there are also civil laws. Remember, the Jews were a theocracy. And so there's like, if there's this crime, there's this punishment. Now, a lot of our laws are based on theirs, but we're in a new government now. And thirdly, there's the moral laws. Now, here we have things like do not steal, do not kill, do not lie, do not commit adultery. Those are moral rules, and those are carried forward. In fact, they are usually affirmed in the New Testament, and sometimes made even harder by Jesus, right? So they they get carried forward. Now, what, what this does for us is when some people go, wait, hell, time out. How is it that you Christians, you say that homosexuality is sin based on some passage in the Old Testament, but you eat shellfish? Because in the same passage, it tells you not to eat shellfish. How do you how do you do that? Well, because one's part of the moral law that gets carried forward, or the other is part of the ceremonial law that is fulfilled in Christ and is resolved. Okay, And actually what you find is the, the prohibition against homosexuality is actually affirmed in the New Testament. And so see, it, it gets carried forward. All right, so the point is then that as God makes these rules, yes, they are still relevant, they are His rules, and we don't get to make the rules. The Pharisees don't make the rules, we don't make the rules, God makes the rules, and our modern culture is not free to force our way into it. So what Jesus does then at the end is he throws in divorce as an example. And I've already summarized the New Testament's, or really the whole scripture's teaching on marriage and divorce. Let me tell you how bad it would have rankled the Pharisees, what Jesus just said there. The Pharisees believed that a husband can divorce his wife, but a wife can't divorce her husband. Jesus leveled the playing field. That would have been shocking to them culturally, what Jesus said. Another thing the Pharisees believed, they believed that a husband had the right to divorce his wife over any trivial matter. In fact, the rabbi Hillel taught that it was right for a husband to divorce his wife if she so much as spoiled his meal. What? My wife Shannon is a marvelous cook. She's even a great baker, too. Like, I am doubly blessed, right? But that woman cannot make grilled cheese to save her life. <laughs> like, if there's a quick meal, I'm going to do some grilled cheese. I'm like, kids, just come out when you hear the smoke alarm. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not kidding. It happens every time she burns it. So that means I would have divorced Shannon many times over. That's what the Pharisees believe. And Jesus is like, nope. No, that's your rules, not my rules. Jesus is giving a quick example here of where the Pharisees were guilty of the law trying to substitute their rules for God's rules. And we roll our eyes at them like, you stupid Pharisees. And yet we do it all the time. People come to us as pastors and they intend to get divorced and they don't have biblical cause, but they always say "Some I believe God is leading me to do this. I believe God just wants me to be happy, and I, I feel he's leading me to get divorced. And we show him the scriptures, and we're like, based on what? This is you forcing your words in God's mouth. And just know, like this stuff was really culturally sensitive back then. Like when Jesus was saying this, he was nailing the Pharisees on their view of marriage and divorce. And they didn't say amen. Just like no one's saying amen today. <laughs> it's culturally sensitive then and now. God makes the rules. Now I think, let me give you another idea with this. I think there's a weird tension that happens in our hearts when we start asking the question, who makes the rules? Because on the one hand, like, I want to write the rules for my own life. Thank you very much. I want to force my way into the way of God. And in my natural rebellious state, I don't like it when God makes rules for me. But on the other hand, I also know that's exactly what I need. That's what we need. Hey, can we disagree about something? This world is fallen and broken and messy, and painful, and hurting. And you know who broke it? We broke it. Humans broke it. Humans are breaking it. Humans are causing the pain. So what's the solution? That a bunch of humans make up more rules? Does that make sense? Like, understand this. If you get to make the rules, we don't follow your rules. We all make up our own rules. So now what we have is anarchy. And and when you have anarchy, what happens then is might makes right. Survival of the fittest. So what we have is oppression and we have just terrible things in human history like racism flows from that and slavery flows from that and domination. That's what happens when we make the rules. What is the solution then? It's that God makes the rules. We need God speaking into our lives correcting us. That's very comforting. We need that, don't we? Like, listen, you might think really highly of yourself. But, but honestly, if you think that God thinks just like you think, then you think you're God. And can I just tell you, you make a crappy God. And so do I. See, when I want my rules to reign supreme, what I'm saying is I think people should be just like me. Do you know how messed up this world would be if everybody were like Rick McKee? Pretty much like it is now. It's just messed up. The point is, I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. Who is the standard? It's Jesus. He's the standard, so he gets to make the rules. When I try to make the rules, I'm saying, I'm the standard. It's like, dude, seriously? Not you. Jesus. Listen, if God's word does not convict you and correct you, then you don't have God's word. All you have is a projection of your own desires. Maybe you've heard that phrase that God made humanity in his image and humanity returned the favor. We remake God in our image and we force our way into his. And what a tragedy! Because there's no doubt we have fallen humanity that needs a holy God to speak into it. But instead we stop our ears and we try to put our words in his mouth. You know what we need? We need someone outside of humanity. Somebody bigger and better and holier and smarter and wiser who can speak into our mess. We need God to make the rules. But when we're at odds with God, our temptation is to correct Him. Not to let Him correct us, but to correct Him. Which is why they ridicule Jesus. There's Jesus saying, you can't serve two masters, both God and money, can't do that. And they said, yes we can. See, in that moment, they did not allow the God of the universe to correct them. They attempted to correct God. The question, who makes the rules, can be stated this way. Do you correct God or does God correct you? Oh, and that's easy when you agree with God. But what about when you disagree? Do you correct God or does he correct you? Now, to be honest, this stuff is very, very easy to look backwards into the past about these kinds of things. Because hindsight's twenty-twenty, right? Perfect vision and hindsight. And so I can look backwards in history and go, Idiots. Pharisees were such idiots. Slavery in America? What the heck were we thinking? What idiots? Nazi Germany? Idiots. God was convicting then, and knew you know, that at that moment in history, instead of being corrected by God, they chose to correct God. They didn't listen. They stopped their ears. But listen, folks. God corrects every culture In every era, including ours, we haven't arrived. He is speaking. He is convicting. He makes the rules. And so one of the things I'd love for you to think about this week is if God makes the rules and if God convicts and corrects, what is it in our culture today that you think God might say, "Mm, nope, wrong? Or maybe here's an even better question. What is it in your life? What is it in your life that God would speak into and correct? And if God has spoken, that's it. Don't ridicule him. Don't try to veto him. Don't try to override him. Listen to him. Let him be God and you be the servant. Now, some of you, we we have a wonderful congregation with a lot of wonderfully broken people. And I realize a lot of you know that, you, that God makes the rules and that you've blown it and you've really screwed up really bad. I've, I've got some great, great news for you. You are not saved by rule keeping. You're not saved by rule keeping. So there was the law and the prophets that Jesus referred to. What the law did for us is it gave us a bunch of rules so that by trying to keep them, we realized we couldn't keep them. We realize that we are lawbreakers by nature. It's not that the law saved us. The law showed us that we need a Savior. Then you know what the prophets did? They came along and promised that a Savior was to come. That's what they did for us. Now we are in the age of the good news of the kingdom of God. It's good news, not good instruction. Instruction is rules, what you need to do in order to earn God's favor. It's not good instruction. It's good news. News is about what's been done the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus when he hung there on the cross and he said, it is finished. It's done. And so it's not about rule keeping in order to be saved. Did you notice throughout the New Testament that is why the sinners love Jesus. The prostitutes, the test they love Jesus. You know who hated Jesus? The rule keeping Pharisees. They didn't like him. You don't need a religion of rules. What you need is a redeeming relationship with Jesus himself. You need to let God be God and run to him, return to him, reconnect with him. Stop trying to play God. Let him be God. Now before wrapping up, I want to address one other issue about divorce in our culture. Because I realize most of, the, most of us in this room have been touched by divorce. My parents got divorced. Many of your parents got divorced. Grandparents got divorced. Many of you have been divorced. Some multiple times. Some of you have children who have already gotten divorced. This really hurts and I get that. So what? So shame. Condemnation. You're ruined. There is no hope. That's not what Jesus says at all. That's not what Jesus says at all. No, there's good news. Listen, of course it's broken. Your divorce wasn't the first time the universe got broken. Like we knew about it already. Like the thing is messed up. There's no surprise. That's why Jesus came. And so there's good news. You return, you reconnect with your Savior. Repent. Oh, so it doesn't matter if we divorce. Oops, wait, time out. That was a step too far. No, the rules are still God's to make. Our rule making brings sin and pain. God's rule breaking, excuse me, God's rule making brings grace and freedom. Listen, did you hear what I just said? Following God's rules brings freedom. When you are saved in Christ, you are not only saved from, you are saved to. You are saved from your sin and the consequences of your sin, but you are also saved to a renewed relationship with God. You're saved to walking with God. You're saved to a new life. You're saved to the rule-keeping freedom that is in His will. And I don't want you shut out from that. I want you to know your God and to walk with Him and to experience that freedom. I want the same for me. So let's pray for that together. Bow your heads with me. Father, if we're honest before you right now, we are by nature rule makers where it's not our place and we're rule breakers. and We've messed up this world and we brought sin and pain, yeah, with divorce and many other things as well. And somehow in our arrogance we assume that our rules should... Rain, and it's just ridiculous. So we repent of that in your presence right now, Lord. And we want to ask that you would invade our hearts in such a way that, that we, would, we would know you, we would love you, we love your voice. So your voice brings conviction and correction and it's sweet to our ears. We need it. We want it. We're so imperfect at following you. We admit it, but, but we want your voice into our lives. Lord, you make the rules. You make the rules. And I know there are some here today, I'm sure, Lord, who have never entered into a redeeming relationship with you. Maybe they're surprised. Maybe they thought Christianity was all about keeping the rules and somehow impressing you, pleasing you. And so, Lord, I pray today they would leave that behind and they would run, they would run into a redeeming relationship with you, to know you and love you, be adopted by you as a daughter, as a son. Thank you for that privilege. Lord, we love you. Lead us this week and speak into our lives that we might know where you would correct us personally, individually. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.